Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. What is up, my beautiful people? Welcome to Into the Net FC, the soccer talk discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. Let's not waste any more time, and finally, 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 the coolest nurse in beautiful and sunny Southern California is back. What's up, Steve? Well, uh... Back at it again. Hard to believe we're getting into the last half of August. Um, my uh, kid sis, who teaches in uh, the Frisco, Texas school district, they just went got back to classes last week, and then uh, the Los Angeles school district, they just got back into classes uh, yesterday. So uh, the kiddos are starting to go back to school, and it's also the time for the beginning of the new soccer season. I mean, isn't that great? Like, the kids go back to school, and you and I, we have soccer back. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the, although, the, did have a, although, to be fair, we did have a pretty full summer between the, the Euros, uh, the Copa yeah. America, oh, the Gold true. Cup, you know, and, you know, for the Night Owls out there that were able to watch the Olympics, um, I was, kept, truth be told, I was catching all the Olympic stuff on highlights, so I was not going to be watching those games at 3 in the morning. Yeah, neither was I. But well, for sometimes I had no choice because you know it's it's what I do. But you know I'm proud of it. I'm willing to sacrifice my sleep to do my to build this show because I always say, look, I can get sleep when I have nothing to do and gotta stay active. But anyway, the EPL man, <laughs> couldn't start off in a better way. But it's it's already been one wild week, hasn't it? You know, it's where do you begin with that? Uh, the crowds were back, and the crowds were back in a big way. Seventy-two thousand at Old Trafford to watch Man U do a serious beatdown on Leeds United. Uh, goals, goals, goals galore. I think it was the most goals in an opening weekend in the EPL, I want to say since like 1993. So that's that's going back a little ways. Um, so, uh, and the other thing too that was also rather incredible in the EPL over the weekend, there was not a single draw. Right, right. 
So uh, no zero zero draws, no draws of any kind. Uh, lots of goals. Um, Brentford back in the top flight for the first time since 1947. Not only do they win, but they beat Arsenal in their home opener two zip. Like I said, it was it was incredibly wild. We'll go ahead and start with Manchester United, and you know, seeing this game, I was like, wow. I mean, as soon as we take the first goal, I'm like, okay, it's one goal. And then when Leeds uh, equalizes, I'm like, okay, well, here we go. I mean, the question is, is Man U going to find a way or is Leeds going to find a way? But then Man U just went on a tear. And the results of this game just, like you said, incredible. Uh, already a hat trick for Bruno Fernandes. What personally warms my heart is that my man, Paul Pogba, four assists. Just absolutely more, incredible. More assists in that game than the entire all of last season for Pogba. I mean, an incredible, you know, display. You could almost call this first game sort of like the the redemption game for some players who felt that they may have had a very disappointing tournament at the Euros. Uh, Fernandez certainly had an extremely disappointing uh, Euros with Portugal. Pogba, although scored a you know really really nice goal against Switzerland, he also had kind of like the key giveaway that led to Switzerland tying the game and then that they would end up winning in overtime after PKs against the French. But um, but yeah, Man U, they sent the 72,000 home very, very happy with that opening display. And not surprising, as uh, one of our dudes in the Stoppage Time FC uh, group, I believe it was Rod, apparently had to share something unfortunate with uh, Leeds United and Man United uh, fans having to get into it on the streets, but... Let's not forget, Man U and Leeds United, uh, they've kind of had a, an old classic feud. That's a that's a feud that goes back uh, quite a ways, um, just on the nastiness level. I mean, it's certainly something that goes all the way back into the, the 60s and 70s. Um, I still think Liverpool and Man U is a much bigger grudge it doesn't necessarily take on the physical hooligan edge to it like Leeds and Man U does. The, it was certainly really unfortunate with um, you know the scenes of combat in the streets in, in Manchester. But, um, but still, uh, as far as the soccer was concerned, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could not have asked for a, a better way to start the, the new season. Oh, totally, and hopefully Man U can build on it. And I like how you mentioned this is like the beginning of a redemption process. I mean, in Pogba's case and Fernandez's case, it, it totally is. And, I mean, I'm just so amazed. You see Paul Pogba provide, I think it was two assists to Fernandez. I mean, you really see these guys working together. They trust each other. I mean, this is what we want to see, Steve. I mean, because I don't want Paul Pogba to move to leave Man U. But I've said for so many, for, I said so many times that, his play style does not fit the environment of Man U, but maybe they're finally getting to the point they finally understand that, well, we have to make his play style fit our environment, so we're going to have to make Pogba comfortable, but at the same time make Bruno Fernandes comfortable, and if you work with those two, then anything is possible. Yeah, no doubt. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, Chelsea, three-zip over Crystal Palace. Uh, Alonso with a really, really nice direct kick. Uh, to open the scoring for Chelsea. Uh, Pulisic uh, gets a goal. Uh, goalie spills Mason Mount's cross. Uh, and Chaloba 
uh, Chelsea youth product. He finishes off the scoring for the Blues. So uh, defending European champs and also the Super Cup champs uh, after beating Villarreal on, uh, on penalties earlier in the week. But uh, Chelsea gets a very, very good start against Crystal Palace, who's now being led by former French international Patrick Vieira. Well, not surprisingly, Chelsea's off to this amazing start. And speaking of Chelsea, they just landed uh, Romelu Lukaku. So, I mean, you know, Chelsea, big, you know, having the same advantage as, as Paris Saint-Germain uh, as, as far as the funding of the team goes, especially with the management, but... It's too, it's still too early to say money well spent, but we'll have to see. But but I I, I think Chelsea really has potential of, of repeating of winning the EPL title. Uh, well, I should say, well, they didn't win it last year. I should say that I think this time they can actually win the EPL title. There's more than a few people who fancy the Blues to to win the EPL this year. Um, the champs from uh, the season before last, Liverpool, they made a trip to East Anglia against newly promoted Norwich. Uh, Two assists and a goal from Mo Salah. Uh, Three-zip win against the Canaries. Uh, Diego Jota, another Portuguese player who did not have a particularly good Euro tournament, opens the scoring for uh, for Liverpool. Uh, Bobby Firmino comes off the bench, gets a goal, and Salah gets the third off a really nice bending left-footed uh, kick. Um Another day at the office uh, for American fans. Norwich brought out uh, American striker Josh Sargent to Norwich. They had just consummated a deal uh, about a week and a half ago with Werder Bremen, who was just um, relegated last year down to Bundesliga 2. Werder Bremen cooked up a deal, and uh, now Josh Sargent is plying his trade in East Anglia. And Sargent actually had a pretty good look at goal, uh, pulled his his best best chance he pulled that one a bit wide but i think um it'll be interesting to see how the redhead does in the epl i mean i swear i mean there's more and more and more americans that are getting opportunities to play soccer in europe and you know you know how lately i've been saying the, U- the u.s men's national team are undergoing so many tests you know as we move closer to 2026 because i i'm still sticking with my guns by that by 2026 we may see the greatest U.S. men's national team ever. And so far, you know, this summer winning the Gold Cup, winning the uh, CONCACAF um, Nations League, all at the expense of their longtime rival Mexico. You know, building these players, you know, everything like that. Like, these are all part of the test. Obviously, the qualifiers in the next test, and then the trip to Qatar uh, next year is the second test. So, I think we're making tremendous progress to actually building the greatest American team ever. Well, there's certainly a growing number of American players that are not just on European clubs, but they're playing significant minutes. Uh, you're, there's a slew that are in the in the Bundesliga, but uh, but you know you're seeing Americans in uh, a lot of the the different big leagues in in Europe now. And um, you know, for Sargent, you haven't seen as many in the EPL, uh, but. Uh, but for a striker like Sargent to get a chance to play in the EPL, you know, it's certainly a positive thing. Now it'll be interesting to see if he could produce, like how he was able to produce at times when he was at Werder Bremen. Oh, totally. And so uh, going ahead, um, you know, we we got to spend a little bit of time speaking about Brentford because 
I had never heard of this club, but you know, like because like, like you mentioned, the first time in the top flight of English soccer, the first time since 1947, and the no, and there was no other way for them to be welcomed back. A two nothing win against Arsenal. I mean, I gotta ask, how many teams are in England? I mean, there's got to be at least a hundred. It's a ton. It's a ton. It, I mean, there's like. It seems like just about every town has some sort of a stadium, and Brentford, which is on the outskirts of London, I mean, their stadium by EPL standards is, you know, pretty small. It's like a 17,000-seater, but, um, you know, but they were able to punch above their weight, and, uh, you know, they earned their spot into the top flight, and, uh, and... they they won. They they dominated truly against Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal their their two best strikers weren't playing, but even still, I mean, Arsenal is a club with enough financial clout and depth that you know at first blush you would think Arsenal should have no trouble at all on paper against Brentford. But uh, you know, great start for Brentford and and good for them. Good for them indeed. And. You know, and this is what I like. You know, when a team you know gets promoted, like it, it's like a team. Like you know, I've never even heard of this team. I've never even heard like never like never saw their name, nothing. And and I you mentioned like a seventeen thousand uh, capacity stadium. It's like wow. And I mean, th- this will be a day to remember in their history. A two nothing win against Arsenal. But, but now we get to Leicester City and Wolverhampton. Well, not much. So much to out of that game. Jamie Vardy uh, giving it uh, for Leicester City in the forty first minute. Workmanlike game. Um, Adama Traore had some really, really great looks at goal from uh, for Wolves, but he was very wasteful with his with his chances in front of goal. I mean, he's he's strong, he's got pace, he's got speed, but um, you know, last year he really wasn't finding the back of the net for Wolves, and you know, he's starting off the year pretty snake bit as well now. Well, it was certainly good to see uh, Jimenez back for Wolverhampton as well. Well, that was a particularly horrific injury he had with the fractured skull. So, you know, the fact that, you know, he was able to overcome that and actually get back to play, um, you know, it's it's great uh, that Jimenez is able to be back and play his trade. And I know fans for the Mexican national team, I know they'll be really happy with World Cup qualifiers coming this fall. I know they'll be really looking forward to having Jimenez back in the fold because I know that there's more than a few people who felt that for as much pressure that Mexico showed against the U.S. in those two finals, they felt like they really were missing that uh, goal poacher that that could really put away the chances. So with Jimenez back playing... L3 gets their guy back, so we'll see if uh, he's able to get the call up for Mexico. I think he will. Yeah, he he definitely will. And then we get you know Everton, you know picking up a three uh, one win against Southampton. Well, Ever Everton uh, starting with a win uh, this year and last year really started off good, but did, didn't end up so well. I mean, at one point, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Everton at one point was in the, was in the top of the EPL. Everton started really fast out of the blocks. Uh, last season and um, you know something that you know you never would have imagined um, you know 15 years ago you never would have imagined 
Rafa Benitez, former coach at Liverpool, coached Liverpool to that epic Champions League final win uh, that come from behind win against AC Milan. Um, I know there's a lot of Liverpool fans that are just aghast that he took the coaching position at Everton, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to put bread on the table, and it's a job. Uh, Everton needed a manager, and you know, Rafa Benitez is a guy who uh, his coaching credit, I think, still is good in the eyes of a lot of people. Uh, Everton with goals from Richarlson, who uh, just got done with the Olympics, winning a gold medal for Brazil. They defended their Olympic title. Uh, Ducare, and then uh, the third goal for Everton was this beautiful diving header by Calvert Lewin. Uh, so they beat Southampton three to one. So uh, set the hand, set the fans at Goodison Park home happy. Oh, absolutely! And at least another surprising uh, star: uh, West Ham uh, United winning on the road against Newcastle. Well, uh, David Moyes showing that. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, the. European, excuse me, finish uh, last year that it was no fluke. Um, very entertaining game up in Newcastle. Uh, West Ham comes from behind and they win four to two. West Ham really trying to you know make a point like you know all all the years of struggles. I mean they really want to put that behind. They want to start out an, an era of um, of winning of of a bit of success. They they really want to put a positive part of history in their book. Well, and uh, they look great. Antonio had a, had a great game. He scores the fourth goal, uh, draws a penalty that uh, gets saved by the Newcastle goalie, and then uh, Suchek, uh, the Czech international, he's first to pounce on the ball to put that away uh, for West Ham. So... Uh, Nice performance in the north of England for West Ham. Mm-hmm, totally. And now probably the a game you, you and I probably I certainly would have enjoyed watching, but I never ever would have expected Tottenham to start off the season with a win at home against Manchester City. <laughs> Without Harry Kane, more or less. No Kane, no problem. Um, Son's goal was really a thing of beauty. Oh, and oh, uh, very... Very entertaining, very open game. Um, I mean, Manchester City with their new signing, they picked up Jack Grealish from Aston Villa, which I'm sure a, a lot of fans in uh, in Birmingham are really just gutted to see him leave because he played so well with uh, with Villa last year. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that they were hoping that he could stay and, help lead a resurgence at Villa, you know, to maybe get up in European spots like they did back in the early 80s. But uh, that that doesn't look like that's going to be coming to pass. But um, not the best start for Man City, but, you know, it's still such a loaded lineup. And, uh, my God, they've got such deep pockets. I mean, the amount of money that they're able to uh, put out there for, for some of these signings, you know, it's just unreal the amount of cash that City has at its disposal. I mean, sometimes I ask myself, who, whose pockets are deeper, Paris Saint-Germain's or Manchester City's? Well, that 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 Gulf oil money runs really deep. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't like it. When I mention how it's old, I'm like, well, look, it's not like I like to, but it's the truth. I mean, it's it's obvious. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't hold that against the supporters. I mean, it's not like they pled, begged, and pleaded, you know, uh, we want oil businessmen to take over the team. But, you know, the, there's something – here's the proof that I've said many times. Like, you know, a team like Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester City, all the money invested, and then they can't win the Champions League. I mean, at the end of the day, like, oil money really doesn't guarantee a thing. I mean, yeah, you'll get you have the more advantage to getting the the most expensive players, but at the end of the day, it's not like you're guaranteed to win the Champions League. I mean, there's no excuse for you not to win it, but it doesn't work. Well, it's a good that's a good point. You know, for all the success that City has had uh, in the EPL, and they've had a lot of success in the last decade. You know, that's that's still you know the lack of European hardware is one glaring void in uh, the trophy case uh, and the same is true over at over at PSG for however many you know French titles they've won I think they've won seven of the last ten French titles you know for all that uh, PSG has made it to, to one final but they haven't they haven't won at all with some of the moves that they've made just now in the off season with some of these big names that PSG has spent some serious oh. money um, I mean, it's, I mean, it's clear that the ownership at PSG, it's not just winning the French title back that they lost to Lille last season. Um, it's going to be a question now of, you know, management, they want to win it all. I mean, Pochettino is definitely going to be under pressure, you know, to, to win the Champions League and with those moves that they made. You know, uh, on paper anyway, uh, it, it's a team that you, you know, they could probably compete against just about anybody on paper. Oh, totally. And, you know, from this game against Tottenham, and we're about to get to League One in a second, you know, it was just, it was great to see Hugo Lloris uh, keep a clean sheet. You know, and looking at him, I mean, yeah, homing Son's a goal just unbelievable. And, you know, and I noticed, you know, as he made the goal, one of the Manchester City defenders kind of like jumped out of the way. And so it seemed that goal was just. But I gotta tell you this, Steve. I mean, Manchester City just kept pouncing and pouncing and pouncing, but they just could not put the ball into the back of the net. They had their chances, like so many chances, they just could not pull through. I mean, even Jack Grealish at times, you know, did his best, but and Riyad Mahrez at one point came close, but they just could not put the, find the back of the net. Well, like I said, it's. Way, way, way too early for City fans to be pushing the panic button. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's one game. But uh, but still, you know, it was, it was a fantastic opening weekend, and it was great to see the crowds back, and uh, all these really good, entertaining games. So, uh, you know, it bodes well for this, you know, 21-22 season. Speaking of interesting games, uh, this Sunday, Arsenal against Chelsea. That's something I definitely want to watch. Yeah, you know, I mean, going over uh, the fixtures for this weekend, um, Liverpool versus Burnley, Villa hosting uh, Newcastle, Crystal Palace. Um, They get Brentford, Leeds hosts Everton, uh, man, poor Norwich, I mean, the people who did Norwich's schedule did not do the Canaries any favor. I mean, 
And that's how that's how kind of it is. They, yeah. they they really don't want to do him any favors, do they? They they gotta go to Manchester City. Uh, Brighton hosts Watford. Watford looked really good, by the way, with their three to two win uh, against Villa. Um, Man U has to go down to the coast to play Southampton. Wolves play Spurs uh, at Wolverhampton. Arsenal hosts Chelsea, and um, Arsenal's going to have to play a whole lot better against this loaded Chelsea side than what they looked like against uh, newly promoted Brentford. And then, my question for that is: I wonder if if Lukaku, uh, if if uh, Thomas Tuchel plans on putting Lukaku in. You know, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, and then uh, next Monday, Monday's game will be um, West Ham hosting Leicester City. So, uh, but yeah, no question that I, the pick of the weekend is definitely going to be Arsenal hosting Chelsea. Can't wait. But um, let's go ahead and go on to the league. Uh, now, now, league already got started. They're actually two games in, but it's still, you know, good beginning and not, not, not surprisingly, uh, PSG going off to a good start, but, but, you know, we really got to speak about PSG. I mean, never, and I mean never in a million years, Steve, I kid you not, I never thought that Lionel Messi would, would play for a club outside of Barcelona. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but two years ago, when I was visiting you, I made, I actually made that vow that there was no way that, that, that Lionel Messi would ever play for, for a team outside of Barcelona, but... What I thought was impossible has indeed happened. Well, and if you want to throw the improbability factor even a notch higher, how about Lionel Messi being a teammate with Sergio Ramos? Oh, I mean, th- that's the bigger million-dollar question. Who would have ever thought that? I mean, <laughs> never in a million years. I mean, I, I, the idea of these two really iconic players for their teams and, you know, Messi and Ramos have been so responsible for so much of the success that uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid have had, you know, over the last roughly 15 years. I mean, these guys are both just, they're proven winners. Uh, They're proven winners with their clubs. And now they're, and now that Argentina has won the Copa America, now all the haters can get off Lionel Messi's ass and you know now that he's finally won uh, a, a first a top flight uh, country trophy with Argentina. Uh, of course, uh, Ramos has won a World Cup, but he's won a couple of Euro titles with Spain. So I mean, both of these two are just unbelievably highly decorated. Uh, Ramos missed an awful lot of games though for El Madrid last year for. Uh, with injuries, but the, the thing is, when you're talking about you know balancing European play with the Champions League along with domestic play, adding Ramos and Messi gives PSG just incredible veteran depth. You know they don't have to play every game, uh, but you can you can call on them for their their experience and uh, you know their savvy. In, in winning big games. So um, just a huge, huge um, off-season for PSG. I mean, the list, you know, Gianluigi Donnarumma, the, the young Italian goalkeeper, Ashraf Hakimi, the, the young Moroccan defender, 
you know, uh, the 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 Dutch uh, forward as well, uh, Jorginho uh, Winaldum. I believe I'm pronu- pronouncing that correctly. And then of course there's Ramos and and Messi. You know, and I spoke to a a friend of mine who was actually a, he was a classmate uh, my senior year in a in a history course uh, who also tutored me, who's uh, from Argentina. And obviously I, I wanted to know his thoughts. And well, not surprisingly, he's he's not happy about it. But 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 he feels like Messi was betrayed. Well, I also think, though, too, I mean, Messi may have gotten out of Barcelona at just the right time. I mean, the the new report that just came out that Barcelona's 1.3 billion euros in debt, that's a mind-blowing figure. Not millions, billions. Billions, yeah. And, you know, we were talking about it a little bit off-air before we started the tape, and how the hell did this happen? Well, could it be that maybe maybe this pandemic? I mean, I, obviously, I would I would imagine the pandemic hurt them in a bit, but but yeah, you, you're right. I mean, how the hell did this happen? I mean, this actually concerns me, Steve, to the point that Real, what if this happens to Real Madrid? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I can't say for sure if it will or not, but well, they're carrying more than a little bit of debt too. Um, so it would, it's, it's really kind of, you know, mind blowing to think that, you know, two of the biggest names in Spanish soccer, uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid are, you know, both, uh, in real heavy duty financial straits. I, I don't think, I know Real Madrid's finances have not been great, but they're not nearly to the level of, uh, of where Barcelona is at. And I, I just how how is Barcelona going to be able to to stay competitive? Right. I mean, you know they're gonna they're, they're gonna have to do like a major league uh, garage sale, and I mean they already did a little bit. You know, during the summer they sold uh, American forward Conrad De Fuente to Marseille for I think a paltry three million euros, which you know for European transfer. I mean that's. That's pretty small potatoes. That's almost chump change. Exactly, and but I gotta ask you, if Real Madrid is in a bit is in a bad situation, that opened up my eyes. I was like, maybe that's that's that could be one of the reasons why Zidane left because of the current situation. Because Zidane is like at the point where he's probably tired of having to clean up and suffering from the mess that management has made. So he's like, okay, I'm done. You're on your own. It's your problem. You deal with it. Well, I think clearly there was some clashing in with people in the back boardroom, and um, you know, my goodness, you can't. What what possibly more could Zidane have done for Real Madrid as a player and as a coach? I mean, he won Champions Leagues with Real Madrid as a player. He's he's one of only four coaches to win three Champions League titles. I mean, Zizou is a pretty rare error. And, you know, it, it would take a lot for an organization to piss a guy off like Zidane where he walks. I mean, Zidane is one of those dudes, he does not care. If you, if, if from like you said, if you're like that, he will walk off. I mean, he doesn't care what you think about him because, you know, if you... If you interfere with his job, or if you don't let him do his job, you, like you don't let him do like how, how he feels like it is. I mean, he'll walk. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't blame him. Yep. 
but uh, yeah. but clearly, but clearly, PSG is the odds-on favorite now to to win league. Um, I mean, Marseille had a very very busy off season as far as you know some of their purchases and dealings. Um, I think I think Marseille will be doing good if they can get back into one of the Champions League spots. Um, Lille is qualified for the, the Champions League group stages, but what tends to happen a lot of times with the French clubs that are not PSG that win League, uh, they tend to have a bit of a garage sale. And, um, you know, the guy who helped coach Lille to their league title last year, he left Lille after they won the title, took over at Nice, and Nice went up to Lille and shellacked the dogs for zip this weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, so I just like how the, the way how you, you describe it. I like that. <laughs> so I, I mean, Lille. I, I can tell you this as far as who's not going to win Liga. Lille's not going to repeat. You know, they lost. They lost too many players, and uh, you know, I, I think they're really going to going to miss their miss their coach. Absolutely, and you know this wasn't really a this wasn't really a good weekend for Marseille because Marseille jumped to an early two nothing lead, and and then you know the second half, Bordeaux in a six minute span, you know would make it two to two, and Marseille would be unable to regain the lead. But but I like how you mentioned how how their off season went. Like you know, like like you said, they got the. Uh, uh, the American dude from uh, Barcelona, and they also got the fr- the French uh, midfielder from um, from Arsenal, uh, Matteo Guendouzi, who apparently uh, had a yeah. had a I mean had a fallout I guess with the uh, Arsenal. Uh, I mean they say it's because he had a bad he had a temper or behavior, but I'll tell you what, Conrad De Fuente, the American, is making good first impressions in Marseille. He's looked very good in Marseille's first two games. Uh, they overcame a two-goal deficit at Montpellier to win three to two. Payet scored two fantastic goals uh, in that one to lead the the comeback. And then um, I saw uh, the game on Sunday, and the Stade Velodrome was just absolutely hopping. Uh, it was just an absolute cauldron of noise. And uh, you know when Payet made it two zip off a of, off a really nice goal, you think. Oh well, you know it's should be in in the books. Well, uh, Bordeaux scores off a deflected goal that deflects off Perez, and then uh, and then they tie it, and then Marseille end up losing uh, losing a guy to a red card in like the 80th minute. So they had to really kind of hang on for that two-two draw. Um, Marseille is going to be a really really fun team to watch this year. I mean I'm. I'm I'm optimistic. I mean, I think the product on the field will be will be good to watch, but um, but I mean, clearly they're they're going to have to to shore up their defense a little bit. They can't just keep averaging, giving up two goals a game. That's that's not going to cut it. You know what? I'm so amazed right now that I'm looking at the standings. PSG PSG isn't even in first. Believe it or not, whoever's who's in first place is Angel. And in second place is actually a club that just uh, that got promotion. Another club I've never heard of called Clermont Foot, and they're both at Clermont, PSG. Clermont Foot. This is their first time ever in the French top flight. 
And then Angers, Angers is a really, it's a real pretty city Angers. in the Loire Valley. Uh, uh, I've, I've been there. It's, it's an awesome town. You know, it doesn't have a, doesn't have a, a super huge uh, soccer pedigree as far as, you know, winning championships or anything like that. But, uh, but Angers out of the blocks has looked, you know, pretty good. Clermont Foot. You know they they're two zip. They they won their first game two zip at Bordeaux, and then their first home game, and uh, they play at a real you know little bandbox of a little stadium in Clermont Ferrand. And I mean Clermont Ferrand, it's it's a town that's in the Auvergne in south central France, and it's a it's a town that's considered more of a rugby town. It's kind of like Toulouse. Uh, it's a town that's considered more of a rugby town. And, uh, you know, they've, they've never really had a, a whole lot of success in soccer. Their only real claim to fame a couple of years ago, they had hired a, a woman on their coaching staff. And it was like the first time that a men's club in France had had a woman as as like part of the, the coaching staff. But uh, but boy, they've looked really good. Um, out of the blocks and the other thing that's been really good watching you know some of the highlights of Ligue 1 has just been uh, you know the crowds are back in France a uh, really good atmosphere um, Lens Saint-Etienne I mean it was just a sea of gold and red in the north of France for that game uh, Marseille like we talked about Marseille had a fantastic ambiance at, at their at their game too so um you know, it's nice to see the crowds coming back in, in French soccer. It really is. And I'm, and I'm really hoping that this year that we can have some serious comp- – I mean, uh, some more competition with Ligue 1, like, especially like how we saw in the 90s when you – know, back when Marseille uh, was like was the top uh, – was the tough guy, you know, the, the best club. And then Monaco was up there too. And I think, you know, Saint-Étienne and Toulouse, they were all like, you know – you know, that's when Ligue 1 was hev- heavily competitive, but – I mean, it's only two games, so it, it could change. But, but as far as PSG goes, I mean, th- this rumor actually started trending on Twitter that apparently PSG is now be- is rumored to be conjuring a plan to getting Cristiano Ronaldo because I think at this point they're convinced that Kylian Mbappe has made it clear he does not want to be in Paris anymore. So, so based on what I've seen, so the plan is if Mbappe does indeed leave PSG, which I still hope he does, he does leave, they're gonna go after Ronaldo and then bring him in. So imagine this. You have Ronaldo and you have Messi. Well, you don't have eleven balls to to parcel out, you know, to all these players. I mean, you got to have somebody that's doing the scut work and the hard running. You know, somebody like let's say like with Chelsea. You know, for all the offensive talent that Chelsea has, I mean, Golo Kanté uh, is busting his lungs working his ass off as a, as a defensive midfielder. Um, I mean, you, you got to have people that are willing to do the scut work. You can't have a team with, you know, seven or eight prima donnas. You know, how are you going to get all these people the ball? It's not going to happen. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a part of Ronaldo that probably wouldn't mind the challenge of playing in Paris. Um, I mean, he, he's – he kind of reminds me a little bit of David Beckham is that, you know, he wants to go to places where, you know, the cities are very cosmopolitan, there's fashion, there's media. 
and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, maybe after a couple of years playing in Turin, you know, maybe Ronaldo's kind of tired of it and he's willing to make the jump to PSG. I would be shocked, but, you know, but what the hell? If PSG is somehow able to get Sergio Ramos and um, Messi to play with the same jersey, I mean, well, you know, why not Ronaldo? You know, maybe not rule it out. You know, it's just unbelievable. I mean, that oil money just, you know, taking more and more and more of an effect. But, you know, but now people, it seems for a time, the, the owner of PSG, uh, the dude in charge was convinced that with Messi being around, he was going to convince Mbappe to, to stay. But apparently Mbappe is still refusing to, to, to sign an extension. I mean, I think at this point, it's not only Mbappe himself who's made it clear he doesn't want to be with there anymore, but I think his dad, his dad who's his manager, I think at this point says you need to go where there's more competition. Because I, I, I really get the feeling that Mbappe's father is thinking like me. He does, he's not happy about it. His son being under under Neymar's influence. Well, I just think more to the point. I think he, you know, he's won pretty much everything there is to win in France. You know, he's he's won a World Cup. He's won multiple league on titles. He has won multiple uh, French Cups, you know, between uh, between uh, PSG and, of course, he won hardware when he was playing at Monaco, too. So, I mean, I think he's done everything he can do in France. I think, you know, now, you know, move up to the next step. Um, I, I mean, as much as I would love to see him play with Liverpool, I, I still think he's going to end up at Real Madrid. I really, really do. I mean, it, 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 I'm still going to stick with the fact that Liverpool and Real Madrid are going to go to absolute war to get this guy. And 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 what worries me is that in Real Madrid's case, like with these uh, with a bit the bit of debt going on, is is it going to be difficult for them to get Mbappe? But but we'll have to see how it goes. But uh, as far as that that, but um, but I think one year with Messi will certainly do Mbappe good. But like you said, yeah. Mbappe's won everything there is to win in France. I, I think now it's he's ready for the next challenge, but but I still feel like Liver, I, I still think the EPL is the is the is the place for him to go because not only can he, he can win more titles, he can play in a much heavier comp, competitive environment, but this could really boost his career big time. Like he'll come back to France, like you know in the next World Cup, you know if France qualifies, which I know they will, but you know if if Mbappe comes back, you know in the next competition for France, like. Somebody who's well, we've never seen before—that's what France needs. I mean, especially with, with how this thing with the Euro goes and how his behaviors. I mean, some people still think I'm being too hard. I'm saying that he's got a problem with his ego and he's gotten arrogant. I'm like, guys, I know it sucks to say, but it, it's the truth. And Mbappe's attitude is not right. Well, you know, he certainly got knocked down a few pegs. He did not have a great Euros. <clears throat> Tell you what, though, he looked really good against Strasbourg he on did. Saturday. He did. He looked. He looked fantastic against Strasbourg on Saturday. I mean, he had he had a hand in three out of PSG's four goals. Yeah, he had a, he, I know he, he scored in the opening game, and uh, I know he, he provided a... Yeah, he's, he's already provided uh, two assists. So, you know... Um, so, no, who knows? I mean, I think I think he'll take the disappointment of, uh, of this summer, and, you know, I think he could build on it. You know, he's, he's, he's clearly talented enough now... You know, can he just uh, get his attitude readjusted? Exactly, and and you know, to wrap up the Mbappe, Mbappe part, I mean, one way to 
to help that is, you know, is, is to get away from Neymar. I mean, I, I don't mean any disrespect to Neymar, but, you know, you can't deny the fact that Neymar's behavior, too, is is, is a bit, you know, Neymar, I think it takes himself a little bit too seriously. But yeah. Anyway, but, <laughs> I mean, come on. You, you can't, I mean, see, a friend of mine explained it because how Neymar went from being, like, you know, uh, a team player to being kind of like the way he is. Because when he left Barcelona and went to, went to PSG, Neymar became the top guy, so he felt like, you know, I am PSG. PSG's nothing without me. I mean, th- that's just an opinion. I can't say Neymar really is like that. But the bottom line is, Mbappe needs out of PSG. He, he, he needs to take it to the next level now. But moving on, uh, so we already took a look at La Liga, but, you know, Serie A actually begins uh, this week, and... I'm not really going to cheer for a, for a Serie A club this year. I'm just going to be cheering for all the American players. But most probably, I'm going to be I'm, I'm really hoping Giroud gets more playing time. Well, you know, for, for fans of U.S. soccer, uh, I mean, Weston McKinney had a great season last year with Juventus. Uh, the guy clearly shows that he belongs. And I think among more than a few U.S. men's national team fans, there's more than a few people um, – myself included, uh, that actually think at this point McKinney may be the better player than Pulisic. But, um, you know, I'm I'm going to be rooting for Napoli. Um, I keep hoping that, you know, they can win their, their first Scudetto since, you know, Diego Maradona was playing there in the 80s. They haven't won a Scudetto since, I want to say, 87. Um, so, hope springs eternal. Uh that they can turn it around, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure the usual suspects will be, will be there, uh, enter the, the defending champs, although it's kind of tough for them to lose Lukaku, uh, AC Milan, uh, with, uh, the ageless, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting, interesting to see La Liga, you know, can Atletico Madrid defend their crown? I think they have a legitimate chance. I think, um, you know, it'll be the first time in a long time that a team not named Barcelona or Real Madrid will repeat as the Liga champs. But I think Atletico has a legitimate chance to repeat in Spain. I, I agree. I, I think at, at this point, you know, aside from those from the top three uh, powerhouses, I think Sevilla, Sevilla, excuse me, I think Sevilla ought to be looked at as a serious challenger. Well, clearly. And, um, you know, let's let's not forget the the yellow submarine, you know, Villarreal. Uh, it's a little club in a little little city of barely 100,000 people and that's known more for making ceramics than anything else. But that yellow submarine fan base... You know, they're passionate about that team, and they continue to punch above their weight. And, um, you know, last week they gave Chelsea a hell of a tough game in the in the European Super Cup. You know, they they almost they almost beat uh, Chelsea in that final. It only came down to the uh, cruel charade of, uh, of PKs to win it. Totally. And for La Liga, you know, not surprisingly, uh, well, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, I'll, I'll go off to a uh, convincing start, especially Real, Real Madrid. It's good to see Benzema have a brace. And 
you know, you know, I can't wait to see Benzema play for France in the qualifiers, which will be uh, next month. So I, I think next week, uh, Didi Deschamps will announce uh, the squad. But you know, Atletico Madrid and uh, you know their first start against uh, Celta Vigo. You know, red card on both uh, teams. Uh, from what I understand, uh, both players from each team got a card at the uh, in, at the same time. So I'm guessing uh, a fight must have occurred. And I, I actually didn't see the game. It was pretty foul. It was a pretty foul-tempered match, uh, to say the least. Uh, with Celta Vigo at Atletico, uh, Barcelona, pretty workmanlike, four to two win at home against Real Sociedad. Um, so the the post Messi era begins at Barcelona with a win. Uh, Serginho Dest, uh, the American international, had a very solid game for Barcelona. So. Uh, you know, it's pretty cool that uh, you got some of these really, really top-flight teams like Juventus, like Barcelona, and you've got American players that are having a pretty key role on those teams. You know, they're not just starting; they're playing really well. Oh, totally. And uh, before uh, we move on uh, uh, to the last few subjects. Uh, I should remind everybody that 10 days from now, the uh, draw of the uh, 2021-2022 uh, Champions League uh, will take place. It's actually going to take place in Istanbul, so certainly looking forward to that. Well, hopefully the third time will be the charm for Istanbul that they'll be able to host this thing. Um, COVID and other stuff has prevented them from hosting it a couple of times now, but uh, hopefully the third time is the charm and the Turks will be able to to host this event. That's all I mean. I really hope so because I've never been there. My, as far as I know, the only person I know that's actually been to Istanbul is actually my mom. She went there when she was five. So every time I ask her how cool Istanbul is, she just goes like, I was five. I don't remember. <laughs> but, yeah. but I mean, I've seen pictures. I mean, Istanbul really does look a, a very cool city. I actually would love to visit it one day. But anyway, so going on, um, well, we're going to go ahead and start with a, one of the greatest soccer players of all time. A, a dude, obviously, I, I can't say I watched him play because he was... He obviously, his playing days were way, way way before I was around. But I'm talking about Gerd Mueller. Der Bomber. I mean, the Bomber. Um, World Cup winner with West Germany. Because let's not forget, it was a divided Germany at that time. West Germany defeated a very formidable... Holland side that had Johan Cruyff and the whole Clockwork Orange team uh, in an unforgettable final in Munich in 1974. And um, he helped Bayern Munich win three uh, Champions Cups in a row. Back before it was the Champions League, it was the European Champions Cup. And, you know, Munich won 74, 75, 76, played his entire career uh, with uh, Bayern Munich. Also won a European title with West Germany, too. So one of those rare individuals, uh, you know, kind of like a, like a Deschamps or a Zidane, who won, you know, the Champions Cup, European Nations Cup, and a World Cup. So, I mean, that's pretty rare error when you're talking about that. Um, scored a ton of goals. His regular season record was only just recently broken by Robert Lewandowski. But uh, the, the sad thing about Garrett Mueller was that uh, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when he was only 65. 
and he was 75 when he died. So the last 10 years of his life, you know, he and his family had to contend with him having Alzheimer's, which then brings up the follow-up question that, you know, the nurse in me, and especially a nurse who's worked in neurology, and I've worked with head injuries and spinal cord units and things like that, um, you know, you worry about things like, you know, chronic, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, which in the United States we think of as being more with American football players, but in the last 10 years, there's a growing number of really old school soccer players who have been getting dementia and, you know, at a much, much higher level than the general population. And one of the things that I'm really curious about is, will the family of Garrett Mueller, will they agree to an autopsy? Will they agree to have his brain analyzed to see if indeed he had CTE, if that's what caused his, his Alzheimer's slash dementia. And, um, you know, I, I think we have to come back to the subject that I know a lot of soccer people don't really want to talk about, but this whole aspect of heading the ball, you know, is heading the soccer ball, is this something that's really detrimental to your health? And, you know, back in the day when, you know, people like Bobby Charlton, who's also has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and some of these other old school British players and now Garrett Miller, when they were playing in the 60s and early 70s, the, the balls that they were playing with were not these lightweight synthetic balls like we have now. I mean, those balls were made of leather. They were heavy. And, you know, when you're playing soccer in Northern Europe, it's wet. Yeah. So you're heading multiple times a game. You're heading that ball. Um, one study that recently came out found that the, the players that, had the high, that seemed to have the highest level of CTE or Alzheimer's seems to be defenders, particularly central defenders. Because why? Well, how often are corner kicks and crosses swung into the box and defenders are having to deal with that. You're heading that, that wet, heavy ball multiple, multiple times. You know, you got practices, you got the games. So again, you know, Garrett Mueller, wonderful player. It's, it's sad to see another, you know, great player from when I was growing up and when I was first really getting into soccer in the seventies and he's, he's a name that's so synonymous with the game back then. And he's such a wonderful player. Um, but I, I'm very, very curious if he had, uh, had CTE. But we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for any literature that comes out on that. I, I'm certainly interested, too. Like, I'm curious to know because, you know, in my case, it's an educational – it's like a learning – it's a learning opportunity because people don't understand how serious these things, things are. I mean, some people just really don't want to understand because they think it's no big deal, but – Obviously, they don't really use their head, but but you know, Gerd Mueller, you know, from the time when the the style of play from from him back then, you know, either way, in, in my opinion, he had that potential to really succeed at, at any era. And you know, looking at his resume, I mean, three hundred and sixty five goals in four hundred and twenty seven Bundesliga matches, and he still is the record holder. I think he still is Bayern Munich's top scorer. 
And at the international level for uh, West Germany, 68 goals and 62 appearances. You know, had 10 goals in the, in the 1970 World Cup. I believe West Germany uh, got the bronze that year, and, and he ended up getting the golden boot. And then two years later, you know, winning the European Championship. And then another two years later on home soil, winning the World Cup. So, you know, the dude had tremendous success representing his native Germany, West Germany and Bayern Munich. So... And you know, and a lot of people don't know he actually had a brief a brief stint in the United States. He played for a club uh, called the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Yeah, the good old North American Soccer League. You know, back in the day, you know, when a lot of players were, you know, it was sort of coming to an end their time in Europe. You know, they would come play in the North American Soccer League for kind of like a last big payday. Uh, Cruyff played uh, with Washington. Uh, George Best. Uh, he played uh, with Los Angeles, um, you know, and then of course the the Cosmos. They had Canalia, Franz Beckenbauer. Beckenbauer actually, when when he came over to play, he still was at a fairly high level. He could have played probably another couple more years with Bayern Munich, but he had a chance to make a pretty big payday playing with the Cosmos. Um, so. Uh, but yeah, that was that was the conventional wisdom was that you know you had some of these really big names that would come over for one last payday for for a couple of years. But it, it, back then, you didn't see too many really good European players come in when they were still in their prime. I mean, Trevor Francis, um, he was one of the few, he was an English forward who played uh, in Detroit, but uh, and he was still very much at. Uh, the top of his game, he's, he would end up playing a World Cup with uh, England back in 82. But um, but anyway, but yeah, you know, part of, another part of my childhood gone away. Rest in peace, Garrett Miller. Oh, indeed, and you'll know, average over one goal per game while representing West Germany. <whistles> Unbelievable. And it's, and it's no, one, no wonder that he was known as Der Bomber because he was a goal-scoring machine. I mean, goal-scoring machine is, is an understatement for this guy. But it wasn't just that he could score goals, so many goals. It's the way he scored. Well, he could score any old way you could. Right foot, left foot, head, um, you know, tap in. You know, um, you know, he, he, he just was a magician around the net. He could find the goal. I mean, he was a striker striker. I mean, like you say, he could score any way, left foot, right foot. I mean, there was, there was a reason why he was known as Dirt Bomber. It's not like he asked, hey, he told the media, hey, can you guys call me Dirt Bomber? He had to, he actually, <laughs> he earned that nickname based on his playing style. I mean, that's how you do it. You don't just ask to be called that. I mean, usually the media gives you your nickname based on how you play. But, you know, it, 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 the way he played, I mean, I, after he died, I mean, I literally spent, like, hours watching his, you know, whatever I could find on YouTube, but, you know, it'll never be the experience of watching it in real life, but man, this this dude was just absolutely unbelievable. Rest in, rest in peace. Alright, so the last subject is, well, we got the news actually today, uh, Carly Lloyd, uh, the legend for the U.S. Women's National Team, she announced her retirement, but the, the uh, she'll officially retire in the fall because she announced that she'll She'll play a couple of uh, friendly exhibition games for the national team, and, and she'll finish. Uh, she'll finish the season with the uh, with a team known as Gotham FC, which is based in the New York, New Jersey area. So, but, well, she played played until she was thirty nine. You know that's 
that's pretty freaking incredible, you know, when you think about it. Um, two gold medals, two World Cup wins, uh, just won a bronze medal with the U.S. in Tokyo at the Tokyo Olympics. And, um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, she's right up there with, with Mia Hamm as the GOAT of, you know, American women soccer players. I mean, she's such a talent. Uh, she played in the U.S. She won a women's FA Cup with Manchester City while she was playing in England. And, um, you know, now she's at a point, you know, where she and her husband, you know, they've kind of like to start working on having a family and, um, you know, move on to this next stage in her life. And, um, you know, wonderful player, and I, I wish her nothing but the best. I mean, she's just absolutely amazing. I mean, just like, you know, Mueller, I mean, she could score in her own unique ways. I mean, every player could score in his or, in his or her, her own unique way. And you know, I would say when I was a kid, I would I would admire I, I would I would love I loved watching Mia Hamm. And then as an adult, I love I would say I loved watching Carly Lloyd. I mean, they're both you know amazing. They're both national heroes as far as I'm concerned. And you know, and in my opinion, uh, and I wrote I'm sure you you read it. Uh, I wrote an article. It was actually surprised. Uh, I was actually surprised that it, was, it got published because it got published like ten minutes after I had it ready. But I, I guess because it was breaking news, they decided to publish it. But but I mentioned, I mentioned in my in my opinion, I think Carly Lloyd's best moment was uh, in the World Cup final in 2015 when she scored like the fastest hat trick in. Uh, it wasn't just women's World Cup; it was World Cup history overall. And well, she was transcendent. She was absolutely transcendent in that 2015 final against Japan. Um, I mean, the U.S. they went into that final feeling like they had something to prove after having lost in Japan, you know, four years earlier at the World Cup in Germany. And uh, they just, they, they absolutely blitzed the Japanese. The Japanese did not even know what hit them. And, um, you know, it was an absolutely transcendent game. A couple of facts, you know, I even mentioned this, like, you know, the fastest, the fastest uh, hat trick in... Uh... In World Cup history overall, but she's actually the first, uh, the first lady, the first woman to score in a, a, a hat trick in a women's World Cup final, and she's only the second person ever to score a, a hat trick in a World Cup final. And I and I made it clear. I mentioned previously before Lloyd, the the, the last person who scored a hat trick in a World Cup final was Jeff Hurst in 1966 in the World Cup final between England and West Germany. Yeah, and um, you know just. Simply, simply an amazing player, and um, you know, yeah, the U.S. didn't get the gold in Tokyo, but you know, she could still go out with her head held high. You know, the U.S. still was able to hold it together after losing a disappointing semifinal against Canada, and you know, beating the Australians for for the bronze. So she was able to get some more hardware. So, you know, mad props to Carly Lloyd. I I wish her and her husband absolutely nothing but the best. Amen, and and like I said, you know, I I did. I, I mean, you know, when I was like, you know, training to be a journalist, you know, when I was watching her play, I mean, I'm just like, wow, her play style. Because I did an assignment explaining like how her play style is so unique, and she basically is proof that every player is different in his or her own unique way. And I mean, and Carly always gave me stories to write, and you know, a lot of things to talk about, and I, I, and I'm so thankful for that. So Carly, if you happen to be listening, thank you for everything, and good luck. Well, ladies and gentlemen, 
Into the Net FC is available to you on all streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Steve, it was fun to finally have you back, and I can't wait to have you back on. Good to talk to you. Elmer the Cat sends his regards, too. He came in about 10 minutes into the taping here, so Elmer's sitting here with me. So, uh, everybody, have a good rest of your week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.